Hello and welcome to Sermons from First Press, a weekly podcast from the First Presbyterian Church of Ann Arbor, Michigan. This morning's Old Testament reading comes from Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lofty, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphs were in attendance above him. Each had six wings. With two they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The pivots on the thresholds shook at the voices of those who called, and the house filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then... One of the seraphs flew to me, holding a live coal that had been taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. The seraph touched my mouth with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your guilt has departed and your sin is blotted out. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our New Testament reading comes from Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, and I will read it from the paraphrase of the Bible by Eugene Peterson called The Message. If you've gotten anything at all out of following Christ, if his love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, then do me a favor, agree with each other, love each other, be deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. This is the word of the Lord. The year that King Uzziah died... A year of clarity and calling for Isaiah was, for me, 1991, college graduation. After years of encouragement from Presbyterian youth leaders and friends that I should consider the ministry, I rejected their advice entirely in pursuit of a career with normal working hours, better coffee, and less committee meetings. I felt unworthy to enter seminary, unprepared to be a pastor, irreverent and unfaithful enough to question whether any sane God would choose me. Instead, I chose the University of North Carolina School of Law. Still, my heart was with the church that had been the center of my growing years, and I knew that I would find some way to serve God and live my faith with gratitude. My last month before law school orientation would be spent as a youth leader, returning to Montreat Conference Center outside of Asheville, North Carolina, a place where I had spent many summers working with youth there. And I could imagine no better place to spend my final weeks than returning to lead teenagers one more time at their annual youth conference. Some of our young people have been to Montreat uh, with Jay and um, other pastors here, and several of us on staff and prior past ministers have served on the planning team 
of those conferences. And here's how the youth conference works. 2,000 kids a week determined to have a transformative mountaintop experience, singing, hiking, screaming, laughing, worshiping, and working together to find faith. You've heard it said that if you want to hear God laugh, tell her your plans. My plan, no to ministry, no to seminary, no to being a youth pastor, yes to torts, yes to contracts and briefs and the bar exam. God's plan, send a guy. On my second day of that time with teenagers, I fell in love, that immediate head over heels kind of love, that kind of love where you see stars and wonders and you can't eat or sleep or think. I fell in love not with the kids or the mountains or Jesus, but with Kevin, another small group leader. God's plan, send a guy to capture my heart completely over a mere few days of talking together, hiking together, getting up early for the sunrise, paddling the lake together and eating ice cream and praising God in that beautiful place together. Completely gobsmacked, unsettled, and bewildered, everything suddenly looked different, more amazing, more vivid, and in technicolor. At the end of the first week, wondering how our lives, so intertwined now, would play out, Kevin confided to me the truth he had been keeping. He had been diagnosed a few months earlier with stage 4 terminal cancer. A strong and confident 26-year-old man with a great job in the finance field, he was staring down the barrel of a gun. By the end of week two, he knew he could not ask me to be with him. By the end of week two, I didn't care if he asked. Nothing was going to be as planned. The powerful prophecy from Isaiah that we've heard read and sung, and the beloved hymn, Here I Am, were read and sung on the last night of that youth conference, where Kevin and I sang and cried alongside 2,000 teens and leaders in that memorable time as it came to a close. Standing next to him with my arm around his shoulder blade already filled with cancer, I sang the words, I, the Lord of wind and flame, I will tend the poor and lame. Isaiah, the 8th century prophet, chosen to go to the people of Judah, tried to say no. God's glory and power were so awesome that Isaiah couldn't stand it, nor could he handle his own unworthiness. So great was God's goodness and his humanness that angelic mediators were, were required. These heavenly creatures that uh, touched his lips with burning coals. God chose him and then with hot fuel consecrated him. Baptism by fire. He was made able, claimed ready, tangibly empowered to serve and commissioned. Knowing God had prepared him, he was then able to say yes. It's been said that to consecrate or commission means to derail from normalcy. A mediator with stage four cancer was sent to derail me. Not one given cancer for my sake, but one bearing burdens in his body who came into my keeping. I, the Lord of wind and flame, I will tend the poor and lame. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? God wooed Isaiah out of his reluctance, unworth, doubt, skepticism, ignorance. Here I am was a hot burning coal that touched my lips, not only my lips, but my heart, 
and grace was imparted, nothing would be normal again. Whom shall I send? In the year that King Uzziah died, God called Isaiah in 1991. God called me. When has God called you? And to what? For we are all called in big and little ways to serve. God's call is powerful. It is persistent. It is personal. How do those of you, the faithful in pursuit of God's will for your lives, hear that calling? And how do the rest of us, the doubting, the skeptical, the reluctant, discern the voice of God asking, whom shall I send? Fast forward 25 years later, and I find myself with my teenage son, Luke, and a group of compassionate but intrepid women and men ranging in age from 10 to 76, still trying to answer that question. Envision us, all 18 members of our mission team, overjoyed to finally step off our bus after a six-hour motion sickness-inducing ride over winding roads from the city of Managua, where we had landed the night before, deep into the mountains of the Pantasma region of Nicaragua, to walk inside a bare-bones government building in the city center that would be our sleeping quarter for seven days. The rectangular tile-floored room was, oddly, half-filled with antique Singer sewing machines. Dust and dirt and bugs covered the floor. At the end of the room, we saw the bathroom, soothing our biggest anxiety whether we would have one. We breathed a sigh of relief until a few minutes passed and we learned the toilet and sink were neither installed properly nor in working order. Undaunted, our crew of men, women, teenagers, and children began to transform the room into a decent shelter where we felt safe, if not quite comfortable. It could be worse, we knew, seeking the silver lining. With our leader, Carol Smith's immediate efforts to get the bathroom in working order as quickly as possible, we cleaned the room, unpacked our luggage, and began to think about the work ahead of us, those service projects that God had called us there to do in this big impoverished nation, and especially in the village of Quebrada Onda. We would paint the school building that our group had constructed the year before alongside the Nicaraguans. We hoped we, we could build five or six plywood shelves for the school using the tools that Paul Smith and Tim Wendler and Downs Herald had brought from home. We expected to learn something of organic farming, how to make water filters and homemade cheese, and spend a great deal of time building relationships with the people of the community. Our kids would kick balls and throw frisbees with their kids and speak a common language of play. Our work would be undergirded with prayer. Mission trips are spiritual experiences. They're pilgrimages with hands and hearts focused on molding a particular place and people with God's tangible love. So to that end, each morning, our day would begin with a time of worship and devotion led by members of our team. Angela and I, the pastors on the trip, planned our devotional time, assigning each day to one adult and one young person who would work together around a scripture or a text assigned to them. The theme for our trip was Aquí estamos envianos, which means here we are, send us, an adaptation of the hymn. Each morning, we took a portion of that song that so many of you love, obviously a song near and dear to me, and related it to our experiences in the Bible, and we sang it together in English and a little more difficultly in Spanish. Quite selfishly, 
I assigned Sue Jeffers, a brilliant attorney and seasoned mission trip participant, to partner with my 14-year-old son, Luke, on the devotional. If anyone could get Luke to ponder the passage more deeply, it would be Sue. And I had a strange affinity for lawyers. As it turned out, their random assignment for the day was, ironically, I, the Lord of wind and flame, I will tend the poor and lame. Surely they would put something together meaningful from those powerful and straightforward words, words that obviously moved me every time I heard them, as they still do now. But after all, wasn't that what we were mostly there to do, to tend the poor? To my surprise, Sue emailed me requesting assistance. The verses were perplexing her, and further guidance would be helpful. But in the crush of leaving, I failed to respond in time, and the two of them worked around their questions while I moved on to more important things like making tie-dye shirts and mosquito-proofing my clothes. And then suddenly it was Thursday of our week together in Pantasma, the day of their assigned devotion. Sue awoke quite under the weather, and so I jumped in to help Luke lead their morning devotion. And I looked again at their assigned text, reading their notes. I, the Lord of wind and flame, I will send the poor and lame. Leave it to a typo to throw off an attorney. An S for the T. I will send, not I will tend the poor and lame. Well, no wonder Sue was questioning. What, what was the author of this hymn trying to say? Why would God send the poor and lame? Does God send the poor and lame to us so that we can help them? Does God send the poor and lame away? Or maybe does God send the poor and lame to tend others? And how did we in Nicaragua see the poor and lame? Was it them or was it us? A simple typo led to the way to so much more deeper discussion about this call to serve. Who sends? Who tends? For 13 years now, my calling has been to help our members be willing to receive the care of others in this congregation. We are the leaders and the best, not the needers and the pressed. Nothing is harder than going from being a strong, strapping, independent adult to being housebound, unable to work the microwave, fatigued from radiation and chemo, or saddled with heavy grief that makes you take to your bed. Nothing can feel worse than having a child you raised to soar in this world, become addicted to alcohol, and have to leave college for rehab, or worse, succumb to heroin addiction. Nothing feels more difficult than being laid off or cut loose from a job you were doing well and loved. There is little consolation for us when we feel that we failed, or life that we've planned is no longer the life that we have. But the truth is that we are all at times the poor and lame. We are real flesh and blood people. None of us is immune to suffering. There is a broken heart in every pew, broken bodies and spirits too. To care for one another is a great and holy calling. To be cared for, even greater and holier. For when you are receiving care, you are giving care. Being a receiver is not passive. Opening the door, being gracious, accepting support for yourself, even though you tell yourself there are so many more with greater needs. Letting someone reach out to you and into your world, allowing people to see behind the curtain of how life really is, 
it all takes effort. Accepting support takes energy, and graciousness can be fatiguing. Those of you who have received it know that it also takes humility and patience and tolerance. For every well-intentioned caregiver brings care in their own way. To be in a community, though, is to be in mutual conversation, a two-way street of care where the caregivers and the recipients of that care give to one another. God does send the poor and lame to anyone who is bearing a burden and to the lives of those better able at that moment to serve. God does send the poor and lame through our encounters with them to change our lives. Kevin changed mine. And I have seen time and again how those being cared for have altered the lives and faith of those who are called to be there with them. But the poor and lame are sent, not only as recipients. The poor and lame and those bearing burdens themselves, they also come to serve. Twelve years ago, Stephen Ministry came to First Presbyterian Church. In the book of Acts, God sent the disciples to build up and care for the new church, to pray for and hold tight the hurting, and Stephen was the first chosen, offering us a pathway towards a closer and more caring congregation here, and I was all over it. Some people, though, told me it was a waste of time. Presbyterians will reject it. People can hire therapists in this town, and there are plenty of them. We are the leaders and the best, after all, attending our Overachievers Anonymous meetings faithfully. (laughs) Presbyterians are people who do things decently and in order, with ardor and wearing armor. But surprise, God called, Christ equipped, leaders stepped forward to be trained and train others, and 12 years later, here we are again, commissioning nine more people, for one-on-one pastoral care with members of this congregation and their friends in our community. And you know what? So many of you have come forward and asked for support or led a friend or family member to us and welcomed these spiritual friends as caregivers. It's an active ministry. Our Stephen ministers knew that there are many needs in this place, and they heard God say, who will go for us? Out of the most meaningful encounters of their lives, they heard God calling. But know this too. Several of our Stephen ministers started their relationship with us, not as caregivers, but as the ones receiving care. They were touched by others, and now past their crises, they are ready to walk alongside others in their moments of struggle. And even more, each of our Stephen ministers have their own burdens they are bearing. See, we caregivers know intimately what it means to be the poor and lame. In love with Kevin, I was lost and my life was disturbed, and I was called. Henry Nowen writes in his book, The Wounded Healer, who can listen to a story of loneliness and despair without taking the risk of experiencing similar pains in his own heart and even losing his precious peace of mind? In short, who can take away suffering without entering it. Poor and lame Kevin was, but now I was too. And in that place of brokenness, God seemed determined to send me. Friends, many among us have a hard time hearing God. We have a difficult time with mystical experiences, and we are wary of anyone who says, God spoke to me. 
So I ask you as you leave today not to wonder and question what God is saying to you or not saying. Instead, who is God sending? Is it your neighbor? Is it the unknown person coming for prayer after worship? Is it the Habitat for Humanity family that you nail nails in the boards alongside of? Is it the people of Nicaragua that have moved your heart today? Listen to the conversation at 11. If your spirit feels moved, come and hear what they have to say. Or, or perhaps, perhaps you are the one being sent. Perhaps you are the poor and lame of the moment, a gift of another kind. Maybe you can be both being called to serve others out of your own poverty, finding hope in being able to serve despite and through your burdens. If you are, can you let yourself say, here I am? Kevin, in the end, could not receive my care, and he ran away. After a few brief exchanges in which he controlled the conversation, long before the age of cell phone and Facebook and Caring Bridge, he changed his number It was his choice to disappear from me. And there were others he chose to be with him on his final journey, I have no doubt. My broken heart healed as I came to understand that my encounter with Kevin was that Isaiah moment when God broke through. We are called to serve our Lord not through words in our ears, but through the encounters that shape our lives. It is those conversations, those chance meetings, those unexpected invitations that we hear the words, who will go for us? Friends, God may not so clearly have spoken audibly in your ear, but God has sent mediators to you, and God has already spoken clearly to your heart in the encounters of your lives, and there will be more of them. Who will go for us, and whom shall I send? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And now we are bold to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information, visit us on the web at www.firstpresbyterian.org or send an email to info at firstpresbyterian.org. See you next week for another sermon from First Press.